All right, this is literally like the seventh time I've tried to record the intro to this episode, but I keep messing up. I'm fumbling over my words. Uh, my wife is home, working from home today. That's going really great because there's just all this background noise. My daughter just got home from school. I don't know. She, she's a junior in high school. I don't know what she's yelling about. Something happened. Or is going to have, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know, dude, but it's, it's how it is. Anyway, I got to get this episode out there. I don't have the luxury today to just have a house where nobody is home and the Grizz cave is absolutely quiet, except for that subtle background noise of my dog, Remy snoring. Yeah. Not going to happen today. Anyway. Before I get into this episode, I did want to say, my brothers, if you're a regular listener to the Grizz podcast, I'm asking you from the heart, would you consider becoming a monthly supporter of our ministry for just like $10 or $20 per month? You know, as a faith-based ministry, nonprofit ministry, we rely on the financial support of listeners just like you so that we can continue to do what we do, trying to help men step up and man up. I really don't want to go the route of paid advertising, all the affiliate programs, so that you guys got to listen to 10 minutes of commercials (laughs) before we get into anything. That's just not us. That's not me. So all I'm saying is if our ministry, what we're doing here, has been a blessing to you, continues to be a blessing to you, then please consider being a blessing back to us by going to narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. Click on our give page to set up a monthly recurring donation. I promise it is safe, it is secure, and it is easy. And you can cancel at any time. And best of all, because we are a legit nonprofit, Your giving is a complete tax write-off. You may not know this, but you're about to know it. This podcast, what I do here, and what I also do with online one-on-one coaching with guys, and sometimes I do phone coaching. Sometimes we're not looking at each other. We're just talking on the phone. And what I do with itinerant speaking, and also what I'm doing with our new online support accountability groups, aka climb teams. Guys, this is what I do full time with narrow trail ministries. So if you're a regular listener, don't just be a regular listener, partner with us by becoming a monthly supporter at narrowtrail.com narrowtrail.com. Don't think like $10 a month. That's that doesn't even make a difference. No, it does. $10 a month is a big deal. 250 per week. It is a huge blessing back to us. And all of you guys that do that towards the podcast, want you to hear it from the horse's mouth. Actually, what am I talking about? I'm not a freaking horse. I'm a bear. I am the Grizz. I want you to hear me say thank you. Thanks for believing in what I'm trying to do here. Thanks for your support. Seriously. 
Anyway, my brothers, what is going down with you? I hope you've got some fun things planned this weekend. You know, some good, healthy self-care. Got to take care of yourself. You got to have some fun, some relaxation. Got to have some good pleasure. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about replacement. Maybe you used to pleasure yourself with sinful things, which is really harming you, destroying so much. I'm not judging. I understand. Been there, done that too. What you got to do is not just separate and prevent sin. Got to replace. You got to find better things. You got to find good, healthy pleasures. So get out and do something fun this weekend, man. Shoot some hoops, go for a bike ride, go fishing. Hunting season is here now. It is upon us for bow season. That's right, for deer. Yep. So get out there, man. Go have some fun. Enjoy yourself. Anyway, I'm hoping to get out this weekend and do some kayaking. But weather permitting, it's been raining a lot here. I hate it, dude. Sick of it. But I guess that's better than like, being in a drought like some parts of the country. Anyway, you guys are in for like a powerful, powerful, convicting, even scary, but then it, it you know, it turns a corner, encouraging episode. that You're in for all of that and more right here, right now. This is part one of my interview with the pirate monk, Nate Larkin, Nate's the founder of Samson Society, and he's the host of Pirate Monk Podcast and the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Now, he told me that the Pirate Monk Podcast, which I've listened to before, that is primarily for Christian guys, but the Positive Sobriety Podcast is for anybody, uh, any kind of guys that want to listen. So you can hear my wife in the background right now. That's what I'm talking about, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, trying to have like professional recording here. That's what I deal with, man. Anyway, on this interview, uh, he shares his full story of porn addiction that started at a very young age. He went through some crazy trauma at a young age that he's going to tell you about. But his porn addiction didn't stay just porn addiction. It escalated to using prostitutes. And it got to the point where his wife became clinically depressed due to their failing marriage. And all of that while Nate is serving in pastoral ministry. I'm not kidding. And he lived a lie for decades, and it was eating him up on the inside, but he just, he couldn't stop it. He could not stop the cycle on his own. Anybody relate? You know what I'm saying? And he finally got caught by his wife, and what seemed like the worst thing that could ever happen to him was actually one of the best things that ever happened to him, because it was the catalyst for true repentance, healing, growth, recovery, and global impact. That's right, global impact. God is using Nate in a big way to impact men around the world. Nate dropped some uh, incredibly godly wisdom in this interview. You're going to want to get your pen, your journal, take some notes. I'm not kidding. Dude, I took like four pages of notes. Honestly, 
it, I, I couldn't write quick enough. There, there's times he just gets on a roll and he's just dropping some things. A couple of times I go, yo, man, what did you say that again? It's really good stuff. Some of what he said scared me in a good way. And I think it'll scare you too in a good way. Because as you know, guys, sexual sin, it's so alluring to all of us. It is. It is so alluring. Don't act like it's not. Yet, we need to be reminded that it's so deceptive. It's subtle. It's dangerous. It takes you further than you ever planned to go. And with sexual sin, you play, but then you pay. And uh, we need to hear about this. We need to hear stories like this. This is good stuff. So, again, I split it up into two parts because it's a long interview. Now, that... That's my that's my teenage daughter right there. She's screaming. I don't know what she's screaming about. Wait, let, let's find out. The heck is going on? I should take her phone or something, right? No, nah, I won't do that. Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Anyway, this part one of my interview, I split it up. Um. Uh, Is she coming to my office? What the freak is going? I'm not editing any of this. Welcome to real life with the Grizz. I've lost my train of thought. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I'm going to shut up. Where's the intro? So here we go. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast, where our mission is to help boys become men and to help men become better men. It's going to be raw, it's going to be real, and it's going to be relevant. Now, here's your host, Jason George. I'm your huckleberry. Nate Larkin, welcome to the Grizz Podcast, man. Well, it's it's a joy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir, man. Where are you uh, coming from? Where are you at right now? I live and have lived now for almost four months in the thriving metropolis of Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, which is about an hour south of Nashville. We moved. Uh, we were living closer to Nashville for 22 years in the town of Franklin. But we're down here in this sleepy southern town. And mm. I got to tell you, I like it. I like it. Awesome, man. Nashville, man, that's big uh, country music. And I think a lot of Christian music, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the epicenter, really, of CCM. Cool. And uh, all kinds of music, great music. It's a great music town. Virtually every genre is well represented. Mm. Now, did you grow up in Tennessee? No, no. I grew up, uh, I'm a Yankee. I, I don't say that too, out loud too often <laughs> down here. But uh, <laughs> I grew up in northern New York. Uh, as far away from the city as you can get, still be in the state up along the Canadian border. A little town of 300 people. Okay. I'm not familiar. Is that like Adirondacks territory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adirondacks. You keep going north. Yeah. Way up there. Wow. That's awesome. I got a yeah. buddy up there. Mm. So Tennessee, would that mean you're a volunteer fan, Titan fan? That, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a homer. Yeah, wherever I live. Okay. And, you know, I, I grew up a Yankees fan, and we lived in South Florida for a long time, and I was a Marlins fan, and a, you know, all of that. But now, yeah. Gotcha. I'm a volunteer fan, a Titans fan. Cool, man. Well, I'm really excited to have you here on the Grizz Podcast. I have known about you for, I want to say, maybe 12 years, somewhere in that range. I had... Mm -hmm. Had a friend say, check out this testimony, this video, and uh, I watched it. It was really powerful, and uh, it impacted me. It helped me, and I remember sharing it with uh, the youth ministry that I was leading at the time. Mm -hmm. I was a youth pastor for about 15 years, three different churches, and it was good, man. And then we have a mutual friend, Matt Dobshoots over at Porn Free Radio. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so I've, I've heard, I love Dobber. Yeah, he's hilarious. So I've uh, I've heard you over there. And then uh, you reached out to me about coming on your podcast. And I was like, Dobber, did you tell Larkin to, you know, <laughs> to do that? And he's like, man, I haven't talked to him in a while. I didn't do anything. I was like, all right, thought you were doing a favor for me. And then I told you, I'm like, I would be honored to come on your podcast, but I wanted to first have you on the Grizz podcast. So that would help me get to know you better and help me, I think, oh, feel good. a little more comfortable. I'm, I think I'm better at interviewing people than being interviewed. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I kind of doubt that, but we'll see. Okay. Well, let's start out with, I always like to ask guys, when did you become an notice this word, a genuine follower of Christ. Uh, because a lot of us, we had some kind of prayer we prayed, or I walked an aisle, yeah. or I asked Jesus, whatever. Yeah. But when do you feel like you became a genuine follower, and what or who woke you up to the gospel? We'll start with that. Yeah, well... You know, I grew up in Christian culture, in Western, on the fringes of uh, Western Protestantism. My dad's a Pentecostal preacher. Uh, I grew up in, you know, country churches, uh, storefront churches, miracle services, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as a child, certainly, you know, I, I got saved every summer at youth camp. So, uh <laughs> And, and, you know, I was faithful to the tribe, was always the Christian kid at school. And, um, and the, you know, naturally the leader of the Christian fellowship when I got to college. Although by then already uh, an addiction to pornography had taken hold. And so there was, a, I'd already developed, you know, a secret life and was living on two planes simultaneously. Hmm. And so I was, I was earnest. Uh, I was genuine, uh, even in my hypocrisy. I hated my own hypocrisy. Okay. So in that, okay, uh, right? I no, don't but that's think important. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Like, does it yeah, yeah. not bother you? Or is it like, does it really eat at you? Because that's a really oh. good evidence of genuine salvation. Oh, sure. It absolutely just, yeah, it, 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 it haunted me. It stressed me. I mean, at one point I wound up in the hospital just you know, in my I wasn't yet 30 years old, hmm. but convinced, convinced I was having a heart attack. And it was just the stress of the double life. I don't think I heard the gospel really 
until age 42 when I when I got into recovery and and encountered the grace of God in a way I'd never met it before. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Well, I look forward to getting into that part, man. So you you had a early exposure to pornography that like for many of us developed into an addiction. Um, tell mm-hmm. us about that. Was any kind of abuse involved with your childhood? Because many of us uh, are dealing with that as well. The guys that yeah. listen here. I mean, there, there was not sexual abuse. Uh, there was uh, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse, but there was, in addition to that, trauma. So my first exposure, I'm an old guy. Uh, I, I grew up long before the internet, uh, before video. Uh, so my first exposure to pornography was a Playboy magazine at the age of 10, shortly after my mother's death by suicide. Oh, wow. So, okay, That's huge, so, man. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. So tons of trauma uh, and, you know, this maternal presence, nurturing presence is gone. Uh, I'm just hitting this, the beginning stages of, uh, of, uh, going into like the teen years. Yeah, exactly. This is what happens when you get to be my 65, all of a sudden your vocabulary starts to evaporate. (laughs) Uh, me too, man. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I've got some, I've got some new hormones, uh, circulating through my brain and body. Uh, there's so there's natural curiosity. There are biological things at play. There's trauma at play. There's hmm. loneliness at play, and tons of shame because I instantly knew that my attraction to this thing was something that was something was wrong, and I had to hide it. Hmm. And so you know, so the hiding began, and the secrecy began immediately. Where did you, I'm always curious, you get a Playboy magazine, which was the first exposure to porn I had was a Playboy magazine as well. I found it in a porta potty at a construction site. Now that's Uh another story, but interesting. Something I feel told me that there was something forbidden there. It was, it was fenced off. I had to break in. I was all alone. Why? Am I drawn to a porta potty? Something in me was like, go there. And I go there and I open it. And there it is, man. And it's so uh, funny. I open a porta potty and I yeah, find yeah. a form of shit, right? So, yeah, yeah. What, uh, where did you get a Playboy magazine? You know what? Here's the thing I didn't even. I didn't even look inside it. I saw it prominently displayed in a news rack at the end of the aisle at the local corner store. And even though the woman wasn't fully naked, it was a provocative, suggested, you know, suggestive pose. And I grew up in a very sheltered environment. We didn't have television. We didn't go to movies, you know, so it sent a jolt of electricity through me. Mm. Uh, uh, and it was so powerful that, uh, later on that day, I sneaked out of the house and ran as fast as I could back down to the store before it closed, just so that I could stand and look at it again. Mm. Yep. Yep. I understand. Feeling, you know, simultaneously 
excitement and shame. Yep. Yeah. Man, there's a lot that you said there that uh, I know resonates with me. Is going to resonate with a lot of the guys. There is some forms of abuse going on, but the major thing is that trauma not only the loss yeah. of your mom, like I lost my mom at five, but that was cancer. But to find uh-huh. that your mom has taken her own life, um, that stirs a lot of things, a lot of questions sure. and feelings that you shouldn't even be dealing with. And then right. there's this loneliness. There's this, yeah, things are not complete. You says it leads to shame. You still, you knew it was wrong, but there's a fascination with it. Um, so, a lot of us relate to it. Where did that take you into addiction? How did addiction start? Did you start using this as a way to medicate, cope with stress, all of that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I found a, a little bit later. I found a way to get to get porn, and it was uh, back in the day the way you would raise money quite often for a youth group or a high school class was what we called a paper drive. Uh, back in the days when you got your news and newspapers, everybody had newspapers they had to get rid of. And you could, you'd have a paper drive, you could go collect newspapers, people would give you bundles of papers and magazines. Mm. You could then take a truckload of them to the recycling station and get some money for your youth group. So uh, I found that some people <laughs> would take their Playboy magazine and put it, they kind of, they, they put it in their stack of newspapers and tie it all up together. And if you had a good eye, you could see where that, you could then separate those bundles. I could track that bundle all through the paper drive. And then we'd, we'd store them all in the basement of the church, you know, mm. until we had enough to take to the recycling station. And I would, I'd take charge of positioning those special bundles in a place where I could retrieve them. I mean, it was very scientific and quite inventive, really. I'm quite I'm proud of my right. powers of observation, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what we can do when we crave sin, right? Right, exactly. And so then I would go, to the, we lived next door to the church. My dad was the preacher. Uh, so I could go into the basement of the church and get my porn fix. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it, you know, it would accumulate, accumulate. And, and then I would have, uh, we know this phenomenon. I would, I would spiral. I'd, I'd get into the shame spiral, mm-hmm. right? And somehow I had gotten the message. I think it was clearly communicated in our uh, religious uh, environment that you could somehow shame your way out of shame-based behavior. Mm. The shame would, I would finally be so drowning in shame that I would, you know, repent. (laughs) I would make this grand resolution that it was done. And I would, I would take my porn collection and uh, dispose of it, burn it. Mm. Uh, 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 although that I finally learned I had to put a screen over the burn barrel. Otherwise the updraft from the heat could sometimes carry fragments of porn up into the air and then into the neighborhood where I would be. So that was dangerous. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so I would go through these binge and purge cycles that most anybody who's developed a porn addiction or really an addiction of any kind will understand the binge and porn cycle. And I was trapped in that for years. Wow. Yep. Totally understand. I mean, I know that there's guys listening right now that have been there or they're there right now. 
And that's what they're trying to figure out is like, I want to break out of this cycle. So for you, this cycle continues on through the teen years. And then, yeah. um, I, I, tell us yeah. what happens. Like, do you go into college? What career <laughs> path did you choose marriage yeah. and does it yeah, come so, with you? Yeah. So I went on, on full scholarship mm-hmm. to, uh, 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 university, secular university, which had begun as a universalist seminary. So they still had this vestigial religion department. I became a religion major and studied comparative religion. And they gave me a job in the periodical section of the library where they had among the bound periodicals uh, every issue of Playboy ever published. Wow. Uh, and I could just slip them into a backpack and take them one by one back to the dormitory where they'd given me a single room. Mm. So I had a, I had privacy of a single. And, uh, and so I became a study. Uh, I, I became a student of uh, Playboy magazine. <laughs> yep. At the same time, though, I'm sincerely a Christian. I hate what I'm doing. I can't stop it. I mean, it's that it's that dilemma that St. Paul classically describes in Romans chapter seven. Yeah. What's wrong with me? The thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. The thing I want to do, I can't do. So that was me. So I also gravitated, you know, I, 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 I found there was a small Christian fellowship on the campus. You know, I joined and soon was the leader of it. I can tend to gravitate toward leadership. Subconsciously, actually, I think, push my way toward leadership. I didn't mm. recognize it at the time, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I've got this double life. And at this point in my life, I'm banking. I, I, I I'm rationalizing my porn use as preparation for marriage. Mm. Uh, you know, thinking, you know, I need sex education. What better way place to get it than porn. Right. right? Uh, completely oblivious to the fact that I'm actually poisoning my marriage. Yeah. I'm allowing porn to create expectations for marriage that no woman on the planet is ever going to be able to fulfill. But I need wait, this wait, fantastic. That's good. Say that again. Yeah, 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 yeah. You create uh, what? I'm, uh, uh, expectations for marriage that no woman on the planet can ever fulfill for a couple of reasons. One is I'm not just becoming addicted to pornography. I'm becoming addicted to novelty. In other words, I don't want to keep reading the same magazine and looking at the same centerfolds. I want new ones, which is, so I've got the whole collection. I am now conditioning my brain to be stimulated by novelty. It's not just the beautiful woman, it's the new woman, right? So what we should be doing by saying one woman for life Thank you, Lord. This is enough. Like Proverbs Proverb yeah. says, drink from your own well. Um, right. You are conditioning yourself that one woman is never enough. Right. Got it. Right, right, right. So even though I meet this fantastic woman, who's a beautiful woman, a wonderful woman, she's only one woman. Right? Uh, but I'm banking on the uh, belief that marriage is going to solve my porn problem. So I'm absolutely flummoxed and deeply disappointed to discover that that doesn't work. So, you know, just months, perhaps even weeks into marriage, I don't recall my, you know, my porn habit resurfaces. 
And I'm also on track at this point. We head off to seminary. I'm on. I'm now straight on track for ministry. Now, at this point, had you told anyone that you have a secret sin problem and you need help, or were you just trying to deal with it on your own? Well, you know, we had this. I was no. I was talking in code. Mm-hmm. So, so what we would do is, you know, we kind of, <laughs> because it was too dangerous to come out and say exactly what you were doing, but you could talk about, you know, the lust of the eyes or something like that. Yep. You could talk kind of generally categorically. Vague. And I, it's right. Yeah. Here's what I've learned since. What happens in vagueness stays in vagueness. Mm. <laughs> and there was <laughs> no way That's in the good. world that I could get explicit, right? Uh, but, uh, and then I would also make these shame-based covenants at times with other guys. So, so we'd make this deal that we would meet weekly and ask each other the tough questions. Um, and, and the thinking was that the humiliation of admitting to another guy that you had failed, what the prospect of that humiliation was enough of, uh, it was distasteful enough to prevent you from going there. Because if I go there, I'm going to have to tell somebody. Mm. Well, that didn't work for me. By the First of all, that whole arrangement is based on the insane assumption that I can hold it together on my own for an entire week. Mm. And also that when it comes down to it, I won't lie. Of course I would lie. By the second meeting, I was always lying because I didn't want to lose status in the group, mm. which just added another layer of shame. So did I actually tell somebody how deep in the weeds I was starting to go? No. Uh, and, but, you know, but I had this personal relationship with Jesus, right? Which at that point in my life, I misunderstood. I thought it was a private relationship. I didn't understand that while Jesus offers a personal relationship to every one of his disciples, he's never offered anybody a private one. I'm begging him for a private solution to my private problem, which goes contrary to his program. He knew better than to give it to me. What I wanted to be was a successful Pharisee. Mm. I like that. He's not offering a private relationship. It is a personal one but not private. Yeah. And I think Heck, where you're going to go is it needs to be communal. We can't do it alone. Yes. Got it. He first said, he first said, follow me to two guys, not just one. That's and then good. quickly added 10 more to them. Right. It, his whole purpose is to reconcile us to God and to each other, right. To reconstitute the family of God. And we are described as, as a body, as an organism, not an organization. Mm. We are actually so closely connected, we can only move together. But uh, as, a, as, a, as a Western American Christian, you know, with John Wayne thinking, I somehow believe that, that I can do it on my own, that I have to do it on my own. Yeah. And so I've got, a, I've got a me and Jesus religion, and, I, and I'm caught in this moral dilemma where I'm trying to overcome something that's stronger than I am. Mm. And I couldn't see it. Was your new bride aware of the secret problem at all? Not initially. Okay. A few years, a few years in, 
uh, I, I, I uh, had graduated from seminary, was too despondent. By this time, it was actually, ironically, during seminary that I graduated from softcore porn to hardcore porn. Okay, it was on a seminary-sponsored trip to New York City uh, that was uh, calculated to show us how women are exploited by the sex business. That along with my wife, I was taken on a tour of Times Square into the sex shops, saw my first you know, peep show. This is before video. So the way you saw hardcore porn back then was you went to an adult bookstore, you, you, put, you went into a tiny booth, you put a quarter into a machine, you know, a, a projector started rattling in the darkness up behind you. And then the scene appeared on a small screen in front of you and you saw explicit sex. That's the way, uh, you know, that's the way it happened back then. And I was hooked from my very first. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> the gateway drug had led me to my drug of choice. It was extremely powerful. Mm. Although I also hated it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. A love-hate relationship with porn. Sure, sure. I understand. Yeah. So it's some years after that. Now uh, I've graduated from seminary. I don't have the heart to accept the pulpit, even though I'd, you know, I'd, I'd won the preaching prize at seminary, I had offers. Um, I was in such despair that uh, I didn't take a church. Uh, I was actually working as a church janitor in Florida. And on a, on a weekend men's retreat, I heard the leader uh, talk about his own experience with pornography and addiction. And I'd never heard the word pornography even uttered in church before. That's so funny. I, I say that like I never did either. I grew up in uh, a church from my earliest memories, 77, all the way through the 80s, early 90s. Yeah. It was not talked about. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. And I was so inspired by this guy that when I got back to our tiny apartment, I, I, I took my wife back into our bedroom and I told her what had been going on. Wow. And, uh, my wife's a tough woman and she, you know, she came to faith late. She'd been a hippie for 10 years. She'd seen a lot. There's no way she was going to accept or excuse porn use, but she mm -hmm. understood it. And she said, you know, I'm sorry that you felt you had to keep this from me, that you've had to fight this on your own. You don't have to fight it on your own. You can always tell me I will help. And, 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 with that, at least for the moment, the compulsion went away. And I thought, I found the secret. This is it. It's confession, which certainly is a part of the solution. But I said, my wife now can be my accountability partner in all matters sexual, and nobody else will ever have to know. Mm. What I didn't understand was my wife had volunteered for a job God didn't design her to do. Mm. Because although she was willing to hear about my sexual temptation, she could never hear it entirely objectively. Any sexual urge I felt that didn't include her in her mind, at least on an emotional level, felt uh, so it pointed to some lack in her. Mm -hmm. I could tell that it hurt her to hear it, mm -hmm. right? And so eventually I stopped telling her. She thought that's because we'd made it through 
the white water, right? Yep. <laughs> and I let her believe that, even though eventually and inevitably the problem resurfaced. But by that time, I had already started a church. Mm. So now I'm a pastor. And, uh, you know, but back engaged, now I'm going to the adult bookstores. Uh, and, but very, very careful, circumspect, never caught living with, you know, this crushing guilt, making these, going through the binge and purge cycles. Uh, you know, I'm amazed a lot of times how, when I look at my past, amazed, but sickened how good I've been at hiding. I mean, like the CIA should hire me. And like, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's so common with so many of us. And that's one of the problems that some guys think I'll I'll say it's eventually going to come out. No, you don't. Maybe for some guys, you don't know how good I am at covering tracks. Right. So, yeah. 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 I was really good at misdirection too. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure that the members of my congregation would have bet their life that that's the last thing I would do. Mm. It gets worse. It gets worse. Okay. Uh, because I didn't realize that porn was grooming me to cross the flesh line. Gotcha. I, I thought that uh, <laughs> pornography for me was protection against infidelity. That I wouldn't actually, you know, cheat. I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually have sex with another person. Mm. I love my wife. I, you know, I, I, I was going to stay faithful to her. I, you know, until the day. And I, you know, ironically, it was a Christmas Eve. You know, I'm on my way. You know, to host a, a candlelight service. You know, when I pull over to offer a woman a ride out of the rain thinking that I'm, you know, uh, you know, somehow being, you know, I have no idea what she's doing until she's in the car and propositioning me. And at that point I went on full automatic, just autopilot. Mm. Uh, Because I had seen some version of that scenario, seen it, read about it, imagined it, you know, thanks to pornography for years and at that point, I didn't even see the person in the car, Jason. Mm. I had so objectified women that what I saw was, uh, I saw a body, I saw an opportunity. And uh, so now, uh, uh, and once I'd crossed that line, I knew I was going to cross it again. Mm. So I did that for a while until finally on my 30th birthday, you know, woke up knowing that something had to give dreaded being caught. And this was at the time, this was in the uh, early 80s. Oh, actually, it was uh, mid to late 80s, 1987. That's got to be miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So famous preachers are all over the news with sex scandals. Mm -hmm. I'm not not famous, but I'm building a good reputation in South Florida. Mm -hmm. To me, the worst thing imaginable would be to be discovered because I knew I'd make the paper. Uh, I knew that, you know, it would just be humiliating. I knew I had to stop. Something had to give. I either had to quit the behavior or quit the ministry. And at that point, there was only one thing I could quit. So I retired, went into business, (laughs) Uh, 
where, as I say, I had the great misfortune to succeed. So now I've got more money, less accountability, uh, get my way quickly into a leadership position. So I'm a partner in an engineering firm. I got nobody looking over my shoulder. I got every reason to travel, to, to set my own schedule. And you're uh, still married so, to the same woman at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And doing my very best to be, you know, the caring, loving husband and the attentive father when I'm home, mm-hmm. I have no idea really how emotionally absent I am. My wife eventually slips into clinical depression. I mean, her best friend has just drifted away. Um, I didn't see that. Uh, I didn't see, you know, (laughs) yes, I regret the money I spent on porn and prostitutes, and it was a lot of money. But what I regret more is the fact that I spent my children's childhood Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I could uh, on weekends get the family out of town and be super dad for a couple of days. Uh, but by the time we got back home, I'd be back in the soup, back in the cycle. Yep. It was uh, it was hell. Although I will tell you, Jason, Sundays we were in church mm. and I was active in church. Mm. I was sincerely active in church. So yeah, I you know. Do you I, feel I, like when a man stays in the sin cycle and he doesn't heed what the Holy Spirit is trying to do with conviction, repentance, and he continues just to ignore it, that it can really get to a point, a dangerous point, where it's you just don't feel it as much. It's not that he's not oh. there but you're avoiding the things that would bring up his voice and really bring the conviction, but it's almost like a numbing, a lessening. It doesn't bother you as much, or some say a hardening of conscience. Well, yeah, I think it's more like a guy who's slowly freezing to death, you know? That's good. Um, And I finally, you know, I got to the point where, you know, I keep begging God to take this thing away. He's not answering that prayer. Uh, and, you know, I finally, I got to the point where, you know, this is going to, this is as good as it gets. And I, I'm never going to be able to get out of this cycle. It was uh, it, so a lot of despair. What I didn't recognize, I was focused solely on my guilt. I was completely unaware of shame. And so I'm trying to solve shame-based behavior with shame, trying to shame my way out of addiction. There's, Mm. that's a downward spiral. There's no bottom to it. I also didn't recognize, I I kept begging for forgiveness, a forgiveness that was already mine because I didn't believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. Unaware, unaware that what I needed was healing. I believe that, that addiction is sickness caused by sin. It affects us not just spiritually, but physiologically, neurologically. Long-term porn use changes the brain in the same way that cocaine does. We can see it now on brain scans. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I had, you know, porn had created in this repeated behavior. My, my, My brain had automated so many sequences that the power of choice effectively was gone. 
I had these deep neural pathways. I, I, I was sick. It's mm. the, and, and, and Paul talks about it, you know, in Romans chapter seven, right after he talks about, you know, the thing I want to do, I can't do the thing I can't, I don't want to do, I can't stop doing. A couple of verses later, he says this, he says, so then if I continue to do the thing I hate, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me, that is, and here's, here's a phrase he uses twice in three verses. He says, it's in my members. Mm -hmm. It's in my body. It's in me now. I'm sick. Of course, you know, the Bible tells us <laughs> how healing comes. James chapter five, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Not that you can be forgiven, but that you may be healed. Mm -hmm. And what I needed was a safe place to confess so that I could start to find healing. And sadly, the churches that I was a part of then were not a safe place to confess. In fact, and this is a, something that haunts me, <laughs> there were times when other guys either were caught in a sexual transgression or who foolishly took all our rhetoric about grace at face value and actually confessed a sexual sin. Well, suddenly we went into discipline mode Mm. Uh, almost, you know, the alarms went off. There's a sinner in the church. And, and, and very often that guy had to leave the church. Mm. And I participated in, in that travesty. If I wasn't throwing the rocks, I was holding the coats. Somehow mm. thinking that, that I would somehow, maybe that would put the fear of God in me enough that I would stop. Mm. That didn't work. I didn't find a safe place to confess until, you know, age 42, we'd finally left South Florida and, uh, and my wife caught me. And at this point, and we're, we'd been married 20 years. And she said the words that saved my life. She said, I'm done. Mm. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. Dude. Dude. I told you guys, man. Dude, that is some powerful stuff right there. If that doesn't sober you up, I do not know what will, my brothers. So stay tuned for part two of my interview with Nate Larkin. That'll be dropping tomorrow. It's going to blow you away what the grace of God can do. And it's also going to help you understand what real recovery looks like. You can't do it on your own. None of us can do it on our own. We were never meant to do it on our own. Hey, guys, do me a favor. Share this episode with a friend or your men's group. Just simply copy the link wherever you listen and shoot them a text message or email and just say, yo, man, this is a powerful story, and it's only part one. Check it out. I would really appreciate it if you did that. Also, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Grizz podcast. That really helps us out. And if you are interested in joining one of our online support accountability groups for Christian men who are struggling with porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, whether it be prostitution, strip clubs, go to narrowtrail.com. Go to narrowtrail.com and click on the page that says Climb Teams. There's an online short application if you're interested in that 
or you can just email us info at narrowtrail.com. Now, to learn more about Nate and his ministry, go to Samson Society, samsonsociety.com. And also, don't forget to check out the Pirate Monk podcast and also the Positive Sobriety podcast. That's it for now. Listen, my brothers, stay in the word, stay in prayer, and stay connected with your brothers from other mothers. I'm going to go out with this fresh beat that I put together today in Garage Band. That's right, dude. I do a little mixing. So this is the beat right here. Wait, where is it? Oh, there it is. All right, got it. Uh. It's the Grizz and the Pirate Monk. Grizz and the Pirate Monka. Uh. What the heck is a Pirate Monk? What the heck is a Pirate Monk? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Forgot to ask Nate that. Oh my gosh. I'm freaking recording again. I don't care about your dress. Shut the heck up. Oh my gosh. Grizz and the pirate monk. Grizz and the pirate monk. I'm gonna abuse my family right now. <laughs>